Hi, everyone. Welcome back to The Big Picture. I'm Joe Crewe, your crypto vol market insider here at Paradigm, and I'm joined by our macro specialist, David Bacal. And for today's guest, super excited to have Lucas and Allison from Knox Bitcoin in Brazil. We've got a ton of great stuff to chat about today, but before we begin, help us out by smashing that like button, hit that subscribe button if you haven't already. We're here every week with some of the freshest tastes in crypto derivative markets and beyond. So Lucas, Allison, very excited to have you here. Why don't we get started with your guys' story? Lucas, I'll let you go first. We'd love to hear, you know, how you got into the crypto space, you know, what you're up to at Knox and uh, yeah, just go from there. Yeah, here in Knox Trading, we have been doing lots of strategies. Uh, we like to do cover calls uh, by vol when it's, cheap and so and when it's uh, expensive according to our data analysis and uh while the volatility of ether and bitcoin remaining quiet in the last three five months uh uh, uh we started to look at the vol spread between the Ether and Bitcoin, right? And uh, here we do lots of research. I am trader and researcher here at Knox, and uh, Alison helps me to, to validate the points of view. And we have been, uh, everybody have been noticing that the volatility of Ether uh, relatively speaking to Bitcoin volatility as we might has remained very quiet. So, uh, if you look at historical volatility, the volatility of Ether has remained around 80% while uh, Bitcoin was 60%. And now they are the same as sometimes the volatility of Ether, uh, is trading below Bitcoin volatility, and uh, and we started to um, to put to get a position on this and to validate the the this strategy. We also built a, a linear regression to see if two things: if the currencies they are in fact related and co-integrated, because you don't want to do a pair trading and volatility spread if the two assets they are not integrated, which means the if the returns won't converge again. So yet yeah, uh, we have been trading on Deribit and Paradise since uh, 2020, and uh, we are using Paradise to to build the this strategy. We're looking for uh, straddles, uh, uh, short-term straddles in Bitcoin, and Wait, just long. Give me one second. Let's see. Sorry, I was just telling my my colleagues to be quiet. <laughs> oh, okay. That out. So yeah, we uh, we are building a strategy to shorting uh, short-term and medium-term st uh, straddles in Bitcoin and buying using it as cash flow to buy 
uh, longer uh, straddles in eater. Okay, interesting. So, so, so you look, you're looking for that mean reversion in, in the vol. Um, yeah, so you're looking at that mean reversion in vol uh, for ETH, ETH to sort of come back and, and catch up um, and revert to it, its sort of typical premium over Bitcoin, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. It's pretty interesting because, like, I, I, to I totally understand the view and from, like, statistical perspective, you know, it, it definitely does, like, look extremely dislocated. But it's, it's really interesting just looking at, you know, the year's flows, right? You know, BTC upside has kind of been, you know, the main game in town. You know, Ethereum really hasn't gotten a lot of love. There's been a lot of vol supply in ETH relative to BTC. And it's interesting, you know, despite this, you know, dislocation, if you will, in the Ethereum vol versus the BTC, if you look in the top right, those are the vol spreads right there. We aren't really seeing a lot of guys come into the space to kind of like play this sort of mean reversion. Like, so like, I guess, what, what do you think about that? Right? Like there's, there's this element of like, okay, when something is statistically dislocated, however, you could also make this sort of argument that we're kind of entering a new regime. Yeah. Uh, example, uh, Ethereum, uh, Ethereum is a different asset, uh, when you compare to uh, since the Ethereum has passing has become uh, disinflationary, and he since the the merge right and right. Uh, I'm using statistical data since uh, after the merge, so uh, they they're keeping to they're keeping correlated. And co-integrated, and uh, the market microstructure, I think, it's not different. But uh, what I can notice now, Ethereum produces yield. So what does the people? What does the people doing? Uh, you also discussed it on previous chapter of the big picture that people were doing covered calls. And uh, getting Ethereum on Lido or staking somewhere else, so they they are doing a double yield uh, passive income strategy. They are shorting Ethereum calls and buy and buying Ethereum and putting them to work on stake. And this is a great strategy when they talk about. Uh, uh, about treasury, uh, about uh, institutional moves, but you know, uh, they they become they became uh, slightly different. But I believe that some sometime in the future, due to market cap size, uh, the liquidity and the volatility of Ethereum must be higher than Bitcoin. Really? And people are selling vol. He's selling, they, they are selling vol to do passive income. So I believe that I will be on the other side of the flow because what I see here, people is shorting vol material to, to gain uh, passive income. 
the DeFi Options Vault, they they are doing it a lot. They're pushing, they're helping to push down the options price on Ether. But I believe that uh, if the data is not wrong, of course, uh, when you look at the past, the statistical is looking at the past and see how it can help you on the future. But uh, if we don't have a fat tail event, you know, Ethereum being wrecked, Lido being wrecked or, or stolen, uh, I believe it will reverse the the returns will will back again to the to the the mean uh we can have when lucas can you just uh just for our viewers so these two charts that we have on the screen so from what i understand you guys run you ran a regression analysis on the returns versus btc and ethereum and then you ran a statistical uh significance test on the residuals and that's the chart on the right so can you get in a little into that like a little bit more and you know, how that residual now is at a two standard deviation below kind of, you know, that's the point when you should be playing for the reversion. Yeah, you know, when we just putting it simple, uh, when you, you run a linear regression, you want to use an asset which is correlated to which one, to, to one and say, okay, uh, so let's assume that Ethereum's Bitcoin now and uh, we will have uh, a model. Everything that don't explain this model, the model can't explain. Every variable, every everything that this model can't explain, it will be residuals. So uh, the residual analysis, we we take the mean of these residuals and we take the two standard deviations so uh the the the, the assets they are too they they are still correlated but the they they have deviated so much from each one that you know when you talk about two standard deviations i don't know if they will be if Ethereum will become uh, more cheaper than that when we speak when you speak uh, in terms of volatility and returns. Mm-hmm. Ethereum is too much dislocated, uh, and now it's be it's below two standard deviations. So yeah, I, I think this trade, uh, excluding fat tails, uh, is making too much sense. I don't know if we can stress eaters eater so much. Yeah, that that two standard deviations yeah. always the uh, the great trigger, right? Um, yeah, I will say it's like I mean, if you just look at the year to date performance, like just fall aside, right? If you're just kind of just looking at this trade from a directional view, and you know BTC has kind of you know broken out of their its descending channel a little bit and you know, has really outperformed, you know, Ethereum generally, you know, over the course of the year. So, I mean, not even from like a ball perspective, looking at this from a directional perspective, like as a, as a sort of catch up trade, you know, Ethereum catching up to BTC, you know, I think potentially make a lot of sense. Uh, but that, that being said, yeah. like even, even on Paradigm, um, you know, 
we're kind of seeing the opposite trend. So we need to get you guys signed up as a market maker. You guys can provide a lot of liquidity for us. It's just great. It's just great to have uh, sort of some natural takers on the other side, right? Uh, to, yeah. to, to all this overwriting play coming through. Uh, given as well, Lucas, given the um, positive spot vol correlation that we're witnessing in, in our markets at the moment, does that then implicitly make you sort of sort of more bullishy from a spot perspective over Bitcoin? Uh, uh, your your audio. Yeah, yeah, dude. Like, cool. I, 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 yeah. Let, let me let me do that again. Um, no, so yeah, given this uh, positive spot vol correlation world that we're in at the moment, uh, does that implicitly make you more bullish ETH over Bitcoin? Um, from a spot perspective. Well. Uh, can I can I can I answer that? Uh, yeah, yeah, please, yeah. To be honest, here, yeah, uh, I think I speak for Lucas as well. He can disagree with me if he wants. So we're both kind of become maximalists. So, I mean, we make pass. We do believe Ether had more short term upside. So the perspective here is well, yeah, let's cash in on Ether. Let's enjoy the Ether ride. But when we speak like that. That Ether has more upside than Bitcoin. We're speaking like medium, short term volatility price. I don't, before any maximalist comes here and sticks me with both with a stick, uh, I, I don't mean to say that Ether is a better cryptocurrency than Bitcoin. So, at least that it has much more upside than Bitcoin in the medium, short term. Especially because uh, it had some relevant factors, Lucas told, with the merge. Uh, I don't, we don't think it's. This there's mean reversion we're talking about. It just means that it doesn't look it has been priced in yet. I mean, the, all those arbitrages exist because the market still like fighting the price for it. So that why stuff is kind of wonky looking, statistically looking. So yes, we do believe there's much more upside for Ether. Also, because I mean, I don't think Ether has the Ether ecosystem as a whole. The Ethereum ecosystem as a whole has done five percent of what it can do. Uh, when without even talking like price mean reverse and the volatility, that objectively speaking, it hasn't done five percent of what it can do. Uh, and those kind of things tend to develop much faster than I don't know adoption for it, for the almost divide entity that is Bitcoin that just is. Uh, but yeah, I said a lot. But the thing is, yes, we do believe it has much more upside in the short, short, medium term than Bitcoin. Yeah, I kind of um, I wrote actually in in the Macro Pulse newsletter um, for Paradigm the the idea about narratives and the importance of narratives in in all markets, um, certainly in all sort of macro assets. Um, narratives are huge, and and probably none more so than than in crypto. That does narratives matter? And yeah, throughout this year, you, you Bitcoin have, has had all the narratives. Um, it feels. Um, you know, we came into the year, we had this kind of nice macro narrative, like, you know, peak Fed, end of, end of central bank hiking cycles, or, or so we thought, um, but as we were kind of positioning for the end of those. Um, and I mean, I, I guess you had, you had the merge, but then the merge actually sort of brought um, a level of uh, kind of uncertainty um, around that. Um ETH also as well. It's it's Bitcoin's the only thing that the SEC is calling a commodity. 
um, and have, they're happy to explicitly call that. So kind of just the narratives haven't been there at all for for ETH. And then and then now over the last sort of couple of weeks, um, these this whole spot Bitcoin ETS with BlackRock and and all the institutions looking uh, to sort of come into the space again, all the focus is back on Bitcoin. So Bitcoin's stealing the narratives right now. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah, ETH's kind of just being sort of forgotten about. Um, and I guess it's a more difficult trade than sort of just going along the thing that everyone's talking about. Yeah, just kind of look at, when I look at the chart here too, right? Like from just from a technical perspective, right? We Bitcoin's kind of breaking out of this, you know, descending sort of channel and you have this sort of bullish flag pattern that's, it's starting to form around this 30k level and you know we're kind of really approaching this sort of crucial resistance zone in btc as well you know that 31 32k you know level which is the level of uh looking back around that uh previous may crash and you know a lot of conversations that we're talking about or that we're speaking to customers about they're like look now you have you have this btc uh, you know, fundamental story, institutional flow story around the ETF. But then now as well, you know, BTC is kind of sitting at this critical sort of resistance level where, you know, if we can break out, you know, perhaps we consolidate for a few weeks. But if we do break out, you know, the consensus is that we go to, you know, 35, 40K. So it's like kind of all of these things combined. It's, you know, it feels like when we speak to our customers, it's like, BTC, 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 especially because I don't think we, I mean, there's, there's no way an Ethereum, you know, spot ETF or, you know, is, is coming anytime soon. No, I don't think Ethereum is getting any sort of ETF of some mm -hmm. sorts. Uh, the, the difference here in, in between the narratives of Bitcoin and Ethereum mostly are on, I'll say something kind of corny, but it is on the on the outcome of it. I mean, it's, it's a, the, the actual geist of it, the spirit of it. Every narrative you think about Bitcoin, every time you like to think of Bitcoin, which I, I don't mean even adoption. I mean like use cases or why is it useful? Why is it important? All of those narratives are kind of bearish of society if you think of it. Uh, if you're like, okay, why is Bitcoin important? Because the government wants you, I don't know, steal your money. Why is Bitcoin important? Because I don't know, USD is going to bust and society is going kaboom and you better have something that is decentralized and confiscable. So we have those facts on Bitcoin that I, I actually do believe in. I'm not, I'm joking here, but I do believe in those. Mm -hmm. And I think those are important. But the, but the adoption, but Bitcoin has much more been driven by, uh, by liquidity as of now, not by those narratives. Yeah. I mean, liquidity is high on the market. People buy Bitcoin because, well, why not? I mean, those analysis are valid. And if you have like excess liquidity, you're going to go into some like more exotic assets just because you can. So Bitcoin as of now has been sort of a, I don't know, dollar liquidity index almost, uh, especially the last few years. Uh, because the underlying narrative is kind of bearish. You're never going to see something like a bearish society, I mean. You're never going to see someone like, yes, I so much wish for the fiat world to go kaboom boom so i can you see it's kind of of a contrarian narrative and uh, and that's why i buy into bitcoin but it's a harder narrative to push those facts for like let's say the etf or some adoption here and there 
while they are short-term uh, interesting events that bring more liquidity to the Bitcoin market, they're also kind of against it, the, the Bitcoin own narrative. We'll see a, you see a BlackRock ETF in the end of the day. It's just a means for the US government to have in the end of the world. I'm, not, I'm sorry for the team for your hat here, but it's just <laughs> a, another way for the US government to have a little bit more of control in this one. Uh, so it's kind of against the narrative. So yeah, short term, those things do help, but they do bring uh, institutional adoption. Uh, you saw like with the stimulus frenzy in America during the COVID, people were speculating to all kinds of stuff, including Bitcoin and Robinhood or whatever. But those things are, are above a weaker narrative, let's say for society as a whole, than either that provides you like, I can be uh, the world's financial computer. And you can do credits and you can do that and it's technology and it's technology and you have like NFTs and R2.0, whatever the hell it is. So you can push narratives on Ether much easier because Ether is much more society agnostic than Bitcoin, let's say. And it has a narrative of technology, technological development and empowerment. So the same way I do believe those shorts and Bitcoin facts might bring something interesting. Uh, big, uh, for the same reason I buy into Bitcoin, I think, I think all those things are uh, because it be very much correlated to, uh, to liquidity. I mean, the, the whole point of Bitcoin, I mean, not the whole point because of my favorite P2P transaction, but anyways, one of the major points of Bitcoin is save yourself for, from, from another bailout for, for banks or something. So it has a contrarian narrative uh, that I very much believe into. I buy into this. I mean, I got my skin of the game for this. But either at any time, someone could say, okay, we'll be running, uh, God knows, uh, some crazy DeFi stuff that does AI, whatever. It's a narrative people buy into much more easily. Yeah. And it has a much broader scope. So in that aspect, and sorry if I was a little bit uh, digressive here, but in that aspect, yes, maybe you have some facts here for Bitcoin here and there, like DTF or something. But the but the macroeconomic scope for liquidity hasn't changed, and it doesn't look like it will change anytime soon, unless we start talking about China, which is a whole other subject. Uh, but Ethereum, on the other hand, even though it's a narrative I enjoyed less because I'm a bit more of a contrarian, it's so much easier to, to push it. I mean, so much it's so much more sexy to society as a whole. There's also the market rotations too. Uh, Bitcoin goes up and people start to distribute their liquidity to another crypto currencies when we speak about spot markets. Yeah, of course, yeah. And, and I mean, that's, it, again, I, I guess like, like any asset class, you have, um, you know, managers have, have to wait and, and carry a certain weight Um in those baskets yeah you have these big moves and then you start to see the rotations and what have you um i mean again it is quite surprising that we haven't yet really seen that um level of rotation out of bitcoin into e um or even um i mean we saw some of the DeFi alts sort of pumping uh last week but we're not really seeing too much of that um which is quite interesting but the, the other the other rotation i've been talking about because actually i i kind of actually think the macro backdrop um, looks a little bit uh, vulnerable right now as uh, markets are pricing recession risks um, again. To twos, tens curve, you know, is, uh, is as inverted as it was back in March when, when the banking system blew up. Um, so I kind of feel like uh, equities could be under a bit of pressure. 
But actually what we might see is a bit of rotation out of these exhausted tech stocks that kind of were, were, were smoking the uh, the AI pipe and, and obviously had a massive move. I think you might start to see a little bit of rotation out of that um, into Bitcoin um, and, and sort of broader crypto. And, and I kind of actually think that's why it looks like we've decorrelated um, a little bit from broader risk um, as, as we've sort of seen the pump whilst uh, equities have been a little bit heavier over the last week or so. Yeah, it, you know, it comes back to the point. I mean, um, Bitcoin is still very much, very much a liquidity index. Uh, Situation of the NSS, the, the, the easier oh, to. Sorry. No, yeah, the institu institutional can have much more easier access to it to solve better than Ether. Yeah. Sorry, Alison, I, I interrupted you. Uh, your audio was delayed for me. Sorry. No, no, no worries. Uh, thing is, it's still very much, uh, stocks suffer, Bitcoin suffer, uh, and stocks suffer because there's no money in the streets. Bitcoin suffers as well. Uh, the trade about we were talking about uh, arbitrage and volatility uh, in between Ethereum and Bitcoin is because Ether is very much affected by the same issues as Bitcoin because it's on the same market somehow. So the liquidity factor for Bitcoin affects Ether as well. However, it has this other component that it has a broader use, let's say. I wouldn't say a more important use, but I would say a more broader use than Bitcoin. Uh, and it has an easier narrative. Uh, so, why both suffer from liquidity crunches? Uh, Ether has much more upside on random facts. Let, let's call it random facts. Let's call it, I don't know, some DeFi development, some NFT development, some AI development. Uh, some institutional adoption or something. Bit, uh, so, Ether is supposed, supposedly, um, I am not, I'm only talking macro here, I'm not even talking statistics or graph. That also helps, but I'm only talking about objectively on the macro here. Ether is supposed to be much more volatile than Bitcoin. It has it has more, subs, not substance, but it has more, more attached strings to it. So... So yeah, I think I think go back to the to the point. I mean, um, stocks stocks will be hurt. <laughs> Macroeconomically speaking, it's kind of green. Uh, and why it does corroborate a Bitcoin narrative, it just me at the same time it means less liquidity, so it, it doesn't get the, necessarily the boost from it. This may hurt either as well, but any bounce back or. The volatility on either on such and such shops tend to be higher, not only because of the strings attached, attached and everything, but also because of the smaller market cap. Yeah, of course. Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense. Um, I think yeah. the other thing as well, um, Addison, you, you mentioned uh, China earlier, and it's something that I'm watching every day. Watching this currency move, where where we're seeing uh, the Chinese yuan sort of depreciate pretty much on a daily basis at the moment and quite interestingly um the pboc in china seems to be happy to allow it to happen and and there are there are parallels uh, i saw arthur hayes writing about um you know 2015 when uh, china debased the currency um and uh, and we and we saw bitcoin sort of go on a massive uh, ride high i think it trebled um over that time period but on the currency devaluation story it feels like they're slowly and he falls off of a cliff and then you start to see you know that 
massive amounts of capital that are in China look to get out and um, and possibly you know looking looking for avenues to get out and Bitcoin will certainly be one of those. On absolutely agree on that, and that's the liquidity we might be expecting. I don't expect like the global macro to be better, but but I do expect China to too too long to the real. I do expect China to bring it. I expect the world liquidity to as a whole like increase. China has to do better. Yeah, they seem to be having, but they have to. Um, they need. I mean, they need. They need to export. They have, and also Japan has evaluated a lot. So this this hinders China. I mean, if Japan the basis of the, the value of the currency 20, 50, 70 percent, it's a massive problem for China because Japan is one of the main competitors, not the main competitor of China for exports. So they have to 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 evaluate that. Anyway, and and the, I won't get much into the China situation here unless you guys want to. But it's the the liquidity adrenaline shots we may be expecting may come from there. And if you guys may have been noticing as well, I hope the listeners have been as well, that there have been some movements on reopening or reestablishing Hong Kong as a as a crypto hub, uh, who have been here since 2015, 2013, know that basically Bitcoin was, Bitcoin graphs moved when China woke up. There was always the, the usual, oh yeah, China going to wake up, let's see this candle. <laughs> so China used to have a much more important role in the crypto market. Seems to have uh, for I mean, political reasons, uh, but for monetary and political reasons, it may come back to to have this important role. And Hong Kong has been moving on that on that way because if anything happens in China regarding uh, investing in something that is not real estate or Chinese Chinese stocks, is going to be happening through be happening through Hong Kong. Uh, so just so they can have a little bit more more control about it. But you see, you see, you've been seeing Hong Kong making moves uh, in the way of reopening for crypto, and you see that the macro situation for China kind of asks for a little bit of currency printing, printing or devaluating. And how Bitcoin right now is not as bad as it was in twenty seventeen for the Chinese government because now the USD is kind of so. Simply speaking, it does point to liquidity. To possibly a liquidity, uh, liquidity boost for the crypto markets coming from China, but then again, we're talking about stuff that the deci- decided basically in a, on a stroke of a pen by the by the party. So, while it does point to that, I don't know. Tomorrow, they might have different ideas, and all we're talking about, I will to bust. So, so guys, we're, we're t- talking about, um, yeah, sorry. So, t- talking about China now appear to be kind of turning back towards uh bitcoin and, and being more open um this this seems to be this kind of uh regulatory arbitrage um as the u.s kind of push against it um others are looking to exploit that um t- tell us a little bit about what what the uh playing grounds like in, in brazil and, and attitudes towards um sort of crypto there what's the um yeah just just what's this kind of temperature uh a check towards Brazil, um, to, towards crypto in Brazil. Okay, uh, so surprisingly, uh, in Brazil, uh, crypto adoption uh, is more for uh, people wanting to get exposed to Bitcoin returns, and 
at the beginning, I ain't at this market since 2017. My first job was in a cryptocurrency exchange. My first job was so I crypto native. And uh, every client in every crypto exchange, they had their account closed by the greatest, greatest banks here in Brazil. And uh, they were always marginalized, uh, P2P, P2P dealers, uh, exchange clients exchange uh, by itself because the, they, the banks were closing their banking channels. So they, they could not receive reais from exchange. They could not deposit as well. And surprisingly, uh, the greatest bank, they're now pushing uh, regulations. They're now, they have a lobby. You know, they they already have cryptocurrencies on their apps, so the clients can uh, get exposed to cryptocurrencies. But some, but they, but they can't withdraw, so they can't handle the the cryptocurrency. Here in Brazil, uh, we have a very nice community that with uh, people that actually uses Bitcoin understands the technology behind Bitcoin. Uh, we have uh, people doing a great job here. But in Brazil, people, they don't want to accept Bitcoin on their business because it's complicated to, to deal with, uh, you know, you will, have, uh, you will have to use a gateway, the gateway will the gateway will probably uh, charge high fees. So, mm -hmm. uh, and with the success of Pix, Pix uh, is the great, the greatest, greatest star here in Brazil for payments. Pix have became have become a social, uh, cultural phenomenon. Phenomenal. Yeah, uh, Pix is kind of a meme here. So when you want to send money here in Brazil. People don't say, oh, I will send you money. A wire. I'll send you a wire, uh, Brazilian reais. No, I will send a Pix. The Pix have, uh, have become something like money, you know. So uh, I don't see people using uh, their Bitcoin wallet to, to pay, to do some payments. They will use Pix. But I believe that uh, we can use Lightning Network to build um, to build a layer, a layer, and we can build uh, over collateralized uh, dollar or reais, and people can use it to pay. But big so much more easier, you know. And uh, the regulations and the adoption here is more of a financial basis. People buying ETFs or buying crypto like stocks, you know, to Yeah. Just give a little bit of context on the PIX as well. That, that's a very interesting story. I don't know how much I, I think no one is quite quite familiarized with PIX, but it is an Yeah, I'm seeing I was thinking what is this? Yeah, yeah. It's an instant payment service in Brazil that that is run by the central bank. So instead of like sending wires in in some countries, uh PIX is basically each citizen can assign can get a wallet 
Guys, I mean, I, I'll cut the story short here. It's basically a proto CBDC. Yeah. Uh, it's basically a proto CBDC. They didn't issue the currency itself, but they made the, the transferring infrastructure. And the interesting thing about PIX is that Brazil has a, a, a very interesting thing about, about the crypto community. It has many old school hardcore guys like from Bitcoin, I mean, 2010, 2011. Uh, there are people on, on the Ethereum Foundation that are from Brazil. There are people working on Lightning right now that are from Brazil. So it has a great hardcore community. And back in 2015, 14, I don't remember correctly, those guys, they got access to Congress and started pushing, hey, this is blockchain. Let's take a look. Uh, let's regulate. I mean, they're kind, of, they're kind of raising the flag in the Congress. Uh, and the central bank in Brazil has, it's quite developed. I think no one really knows about this, but the central bank in Brazil is extremely solid. It's one of the most solid in the world, and the guys are real technical. And they looked at this and were like, okay, guys, maybe, I think. Oh, sorry. Yeah, we've lost you, Alison. Alison, we are not here yet. Yeah, you can't uh, it at the end. Yeah, got you, yep. Guys, got me again? Yeah, got you, yep. Yeah, yeah I moved my, I've moved my... The AirPods has this wonderful thing of moving from my computer to my cell phone, which I hate. Sorry. I, actually, uh, no, but anyways, the central bank, yeah, the central bank in Brazil, they sold this lobby push or anything. So this blockchain thing is interesting. We could have massive control on transactions and make some, it's much faster. So Pix was built in with a blockchain logic. It's not a, a one of those uh IBM private blockchain solutions but it but it is a PHP transaction works on QR codes even you have like you have private keys it's also for a blockchain copy that was obviously on the central bank servers and it is a proto CBTC and I think it's the first and, and, one and what are you actually sending on there? Uh is it real is it yeah money actual money actual reais like, yes actual reais so when, I don't know, how, how wires work in most of the world. Bank, I have bank A, David, I have bank B. I send, I send you a transfer. Eventually, when, the, when both banks settle yeah. via the central bank of your, of your country, presumably we're in the same country, you receive the money. These usually take a business day. Sometimes they have some agreements in between. They do some graphic compensations and then they physically settle later. In Brazil, this all happens via the central bank immediately. So I, you're in Brazil, David, you have a Pix account. I send you a Pix. My bank sends to, sends directly an endpoint, an API endpoint to. We we actually do have Pix as well in Oxic. So we send an endpoint API endpoint to the central bank that goes. It's basically a blockchain transaction, but instead of sending, I don't know, sending a high on the sending via Bitcoin blockchain, sending to a central bank server. And it immediately gets gets credited on your wallet on the central bank server. So you trust me, guys. They cut the intermediary of the bank here. Yeah, interesting. That is super, super interesting. Oh, I, this is something that has kind of stalled. This is something that has kind of stalled crypto uh, development in Brazil. <laughs> the central bank kind of hijacked this transactional uh, this transactional uh, innovation. And also, there's this thing that Brazil has 20, 20, 220, 240 million people or so, but the average income is very low. So retail in Brazil, while it is massive in in volume, in financial, in 
people's volume. It's not extremely like it is. It is obviously big, but I, 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 let's the private banking clients. Let's say the private banking clients in Brazil that must for about last numbers would be two hundred thousand maybe. When at 120, 240 million people population, they have basically the same amount of money in invested money than the whole of retail that the masses for the or the 99 percent of the population. So you see, uh, adoption in Brazil by volumetry, you can go, you can invest a shit ton of money to go after retail to get about the same money you get on custody if you invest much lesser money for private bank, let's say, for the 1% of the population. So retail has never got this massive investment. There have been some attempts, but they haven't been much fruitful. fruitful. Uh, so yeah, Long story short, Bitcoin Brazil, crypto in Brazil in general, it's a thing the, I don't know, people who are, let's say, uh, mid-class, financially speaking, may sometimes speculate into private private banking clients, let's say the 1%, they will have, they may have some positions as well. Retail has some shit options, but they haven't been really sold into. And the central bank has hijacked the transactional innovation. So yes. it's not as huge as in Argentina, for instance. Yeah, it's su it's super super interesting. I was I was reading a report uh, a couple of days ago around Brazilian crypto adoption, and I mean you can you can see it on these charts, right? I mean you just look at the customer exchange volume in you know, North America. It's similar, and actually in Asia as well. It's it's growing in South America, and I, a stat they gave was you know crypto adoption in Brazil. So in 2021, 2 million Brazilians will want crypto. And by the end of 2022, in a bull market, or sorry, in a bear market, definitely in a bear market, it was 16 million people. So like now 8% of the population roughly now owns crypto. But one thing that I found really interesting, they basically did a poll with like a thousand people. And one of the questions they asked is, what is your perception on a CBDC, and now your oh. now your conversation discussion. Yeah, we've lost Jay. <laughs> oh, I think we Joe cut off. Yeah, yeah, but, but well, we could get it. Look away though, because it's gonna be cut anyway. So yeah, well, okay. Uh, that. Looks like it's still. It looks like it's still recording. But yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know if it's still recording. Uh, it is sure answer that. I should we wait for him. Yeah, just uh, his, his Wi Fi has dropped. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's all fine. Some. Uh, I'm I'm in Argentina right now. You're not in Brazil. Uh, in last week, I was in Ushuaia, uh, my my which is down at the bottom of the world. And my wife would drop more often than I would, and I I, I it's still okay. Yeah. I would had some mini heart attacks. That's what is fine. A lot too anxious. Um, just trying to do what gotta do. Bit of a tech disaster. 
Um, uh, so I'm in London. So David, so where, I had up where the, are you based? Yeah, I had up the office in London. London. Um, so yeah, we just got a, a small office here, and uh, yeah, that's a, a nice little hub for us. Yeah, and you guys are where in Brazil? Sao Paulo. Yeah. Yeah. In Sao Paulo. Yeah. Well, I'm in Buenos Aires right now, but the office is in Sao Paulo. Well, we have a little bit of operations here as well, here as as well in Argentina. Which is talking about South America is the most interesting crypto case I I think Argentina. Yeah. Because it's yeah. particularly in every aspect, monetarily speaking, but Chris is just just yeah. having gets the boost from it. Uh, right. Uh, yeah, I think Joe's just saying uh, for us to to sort of carry on the conversation. And to be fair, I don't think we're far off off the end now, anyway. Um, sure. Yeah. So, so I think obviously Joe was um, Joe was just making the point around uh, adoption in Brazil. So again, we'll, we'll we'll edit all this and and uh, I cut those bits out. Yeah. No. I think I don't. Adoption has increased somehow, especially because of the retail banks' efforts to make it an accessible product. When we call it adoption to create, that's also two things. One, most of those people have bought into a Bitcoin ETF token, something call it, which is basically a bank selling you exposure to Bitcoin that probably just buying futures. Uh, they don't have like the full crypto experience. I'm not saying this. Mm. I'm not making any valid judgment here on this. But the point is, they're not like actively like opening wallets, uh, transferring, getting to know the crypto space. They just open the bank and so, oh, there's a thing called, thing called Bitcoin I hear from, I don't know, from the paper. Let me buy into that. This is a more of a hobby good experience. Uh, and the other thing is the the IRS, Brazil's IRS, let's call it, has a new, has changed a little bit on how it kind of captures the, the information of the market. So exchanges are obliged to inform who's buying and what about size they're buying monthly and also the the assets under management by the end of the year uh and this has generated some funky numbers on the one hand because they don't know how to process the information so let's say if me and lucas we are trading out of we're market making which we actually are we're market making in brazil and in said year we i don't know we trade 200 I don't know, 300, 400 million dollars, but our net volume of buying by themselves, maybe like two dollars because we're market neutral. They don't account for that and they say, okay, yeah, yeah. So it has moved 20 billion dollars. Yeah, interesting. And, and generally, so the, the um, thing as well, the sort of government, the authorities out there, pretty open and pretty relaxed about crypto. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It has been, have been tougher. We yeah. also had a boom of pyramid schemes and all kind of stuff back in 2017, 18. So there was a little bit of a crackdown on that, but they were mostly focused on the pyramid schemes itself, not on the underlying, I wouldn't even say underlying product because there was no Bitcoin Bob, just the name of it. But yeah, other than that, uh, it's just what more about uh, money laundering issues. Regulatorily speaking, they have there has been some regulation has been pushed since 2015 on the Congress. But they're not so worried, so it has been like approved, and they're going to set the regulator. It's been moving at a very slow pace. Uh, governments usually either friendly yeah. or, or either yeah, don't, don't care generally. Um, 
yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I think um, that's been a really good conversation. Um, it's really interesting to hear what you guys are, are sort of doing in the space. Um, great, great to hear that we've got a, a potential, uh, say, natural interest to take the other side of all this e-flow. Um, and it's certainly going to be interesting to see how that plays out um, and to see if we see that mean reversion, both from a, a vol side of things and as well as the spot. Um, so yeah, we're, we're, we're at an interesting point and that, that, that two standard deviation, um, divergence is, is, is super interesting, I think. Yeah, uh, it can go to three standard deviations, of course, but, uh, when you get into the street, you want, put all your money, all your liquidity, you want to do it in reads right to you put a little bit of liquidity there 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 and then you go you go buying the eater but it's very attractive it's very even in integration uh even in mean reverting terms and yeah or volatility yeah. terms right? well yeah let's, let's see how that one plays out um and yeah and listen guys it's been great having you on thanks for jumping on Apologies for some of the, uh, the tech disruptions. Um, we, we, we'll get that sorted for next week. Um, but yeah, that, that's, uh, that's a good point to, to wrap up. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, Dave. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, guys. Yeah, that's a uh, pleasure to meet you and participating here. Um, I'm just going to see if I can stop the recording. Okay. Thank you, guys. Yeah. Uh, oh, my. Wait a second. I don't think I yeah. had the permission, but I'll try to be here. Yeah, to say sorry about that. I don't know. Joe's had a, a nightmare, uh, but hopefully we can uh, we, we can salvage it. I mean, worst case scenario is gonna keep recording yeah. until he yeah. gets back to wife and some right. good stuff. Clips um, it. Um, yeah. All right. Well, thanks again, guys. Um, <laughs> we'll speak to you soon. Okay. Yeah. Take care. See you later. Thanks, guys. Thank you. See you, David. Bye. We're gonna leave again.